unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And I don't think there will be a film going reviewing your life. I think that you're both going to know. You're going to stand in his presence and you're both going to know with complete certainty and with complete visibility uh, what the judgment is going to be. And it might be milliseconds long. Hey, guys. Welcome back. Today we have David with us who is going to be talking with us about – um, the final judgment, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff that are just kind of like some common misconceptions, I think, and what the Book of like, Mormon has to say. Yeah, correct, yes. yeah, there you go. Yeah. How do we introduce you? Do we? I mean, you have a calling <laughs> at the MTC. I do. Wife. Yes, yes. I'm a branch missionary. A branch missionary. Uh -huh. Okay. Can I say that you're my boss? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, well, you tell me, boss. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, why don't you say it, and we'll see if we leave uh, it in or not. Yeah, okay. So this is David Grant. He, uh, he has a calling at the MTC, and uh, he's also my boss. Correct. Yep. So uh, I have that privilege and pleasure, but I think before that we're friends, right? Yes. Good. And Hopefully, before right? that, what? brothers. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Definitely true. Okay, so... Um, the final judgment. So, okay. So there are a lot of misconceptions about it, as Alex mentioned. Mm -hmm. So when we imagine the final judgment, right? Like a lot of the time, I think we imagine a, like a courtroom almost yeah. where God, the father is the judge. And uh, oftentimes it's uh, a Jesus Christ who is described as our advocate. Yes. Tell me what is right or wrong about this vision that I'm having. Okay. So when... When you die and then you're resurrected, your spirit and body come together and then you're brought to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ or the judgment bar. There's many ways it's put. The Book of Mormon prophets are emphatic about connecting resurrection and judgment. So we separate it out. We talk about those two things as different things. For Book of Mormon prophets, it's the same thing. And so if you look at the broader context of the resurrection, it's always in terms of your body and spirit come together, and then you're brought before Jesus Christ. It's just like a one-two step? Yeah, I'm not sure in time-wise if it's one or two, but they never separate those two events. Okay. And then the other thing that is, is that you you come before him and you have a perfect knowledge of all your guilt or all your happiness or everything else. And because you have a perfect knowledge, you will be able to acknowledge that his judgments are just. And so um, let me get to probably the most important part. But can it, I ask a question first? Yeah. So, so we know that our personalities aren't necessarily going to change after we die. So how does this knowledge that um, we will have a knowledge of all the good and bad things that we've done in our lives um, and that we will acknowledge, therefore, that God's judgment is just, how do we reconcile that with personality differences as well? Like, is I feel like some people might be like, you know what, God, you are wrong. Like, that's not... Your, your yeah, judgment is not yeah. just, you know, do you think that would ever happen? Well, you could, you could try, but it's impossible as recorded. And I'm going to guess it was Alma the Younger, or it could have been Jacob. He says, you're not going to be able to go there and lie. It'd be impossible because, and I don't think he's going to look at all these events and do a tally and say, all right, David, you, uh, in you, third grade, third you... grade, you did this and then you did this. And then you stole a pack of batteries and then you, you, you called someone about, you know, it's not going to be like that. 
it's going to be who you are and the state of your, your state of being, however that is, and you're going to approach him and you're going to know him. He's going to know you and you're going to recognize each other. Your knowledge will be perfect about, you know, your good or bad things. Now, one thing that's confusing to me still is that the Book of Mormon prophets are pretty binary about this. They're saying either you're going to have this experience or you're going to have this experience. And so what about everything in between? I'd still have a question on, and I don't know. But I do know that uh, you are going to be brought to your knees in one of two ways. And one way is, is that you're going to be so ashamed and feel so much guilt and, and, and so many, you're going to feel so horrible being in his presence that Alma the Younger talks about, uh, you're going to wish that the mountains could, and the rocks could pile upon you so you wouldn't have to be with him. Wow. In fact, if you think about Alma the Younger, he went through a mini final judgment during his life because when he was out trying to destroy the church of God, and then the angel came to him and you read through his experiences. In fact, if you I want, let me read a couple of things on here that he talks about. And the resurrection of the dead bringeth back man into the presence of God, and thus they are restored into his presence to be judged according to their works, according to the law, to the law and justice. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess before him, yea, even at the last day when all men shall stand to be judged of him, then shall they confess that he is God. They're going to all know and they're all going to say it, every single person that's ever lived. Our words will condemn us. Our works will condemn us. We shall not be found spotless. And also our thoughts also will condemn us. In this awful state, we shall not dare to look upon our God. And we would fain be glad if we could command the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us to hide us from his presence. But this cannot be. We must come forth and stand before him in his glory and in his power and in his might, majesty and dominion, and acknowledge to our everlasting shame that all his judgments are just, that he is just in all his works, and that he is merciful unto the children of men, and that he has all power to save every man that believeth on his name and bringeth forth fruit made for repentance. Now, this same man wanted to have the rocks and the mountains piled upon him when he realized, when the angel explained to him what he'd been doing in his life. And then he's redeemed after he thinks about uh, what his father taught him and he repents of his sins. And then his joy is, is you know, amazing. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way it's going to be. You're going to have a full knowledge. He's going to have a full knowledge. You'll either get on your knees out of just sheer desperation and wanting to shrink from his presence, or you're going to get on his, your knees like Bruce R. McConkie talked about in his final testimony. When he said, you know, I will not know any more now then than I know now, which I don't think is true. Actually, I think he will know even more when he's in the presence of Jesus Christ. He'll see the full grandeur of Jesus Christ and all that he's done. And then he said, I will wet his feet with my tears and his I'll feel the prince in his, his feet and, and then, you know, acknowledge. And so that'll be out of sheer gratitude. Yeah. That'll be out of sheer wonder and beauty and everything else. And so one of the two things is going to happen to get on your knees. And then every tongue confessing that his judgments are just. And probably I believe that you will confess that every single one of his judgments are just, even for your cousin, mm. even for anyone. You pick pick a name, it doesn't matter, that his judgment upon them will be just. And we will all acknowledge that, yes, he's just. And so that's the every knee shall bow and every tongue confess part of the thing. I'm sure glad it's up to him. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound like an easy job, and I don't understand how it's going to work, but I yeah. trust that it will. Yeah, and I don't think there will be a film going reviewing your life. I think that you're both going to know, you're going to stand in his presence, and you're both going to know with complete certainty and with complete visibility uh, what the judgment is going to be, and it might be milliseconds long. And, you know, he's either going to say, welcome in, or sorry, this is somewhere else. And after this, we don't have a lot of insight. 
in terms of what the Book of Mormon prophets say. They are fixated on this one event and said, you need to get ready for this one event that's going to occur after your resurrection. And every single one of them, except for Alma, like I say, is just hyper-focused on that reality. Will God the Father be there? There's there's one verse that indicates that he might be there. Uh, what his role will be in that thing, I don't know, but he will not be the judge. Uh, there's one verse, and I believe it's in Alma the Younger again, where he talks about uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost being there. I get the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is going to seal whatever the judgment is and say, yeah, I sanction this, and this is this is what it's going to be for everyone. The Father's role in this thing, I, I don't know, because he's, he's not mentioned that often in terms of the judgment. Yeah. Now let's get to your advocacy question. Yes. Okay, so about six times in the Doctrine and Covenants, it mentions that Jesus Christ is the advocate with the Father, is your advocate with the Father. Right. Okay. So there's two aspects to this. One is that advocacy is almost never, or actually is never mentioned in terms of the final judgment. It's always in terms of something else. It's always couched in something modern or whatever's going on at the time. In these Doctrine and Covenants verses. Correct. Okay. And there's one here, and the advocacy has a different character. This is in Doctrine and Covenants 45 verse 3. Listen to him who is the advocate with the Father. Now, that alone itself might say advocate with the Father might mean something other than advocate before the Father or advocating for you. But then we learn what exactly he's advocating for. So listen to this. Saying, Father, behold the sufferings and death of him who did no sin, in whom thou hast well pleased. Behold the blood of thy Son, which was shed, the blood of him whom thou gavest, that thyself might be glorified. So he's not advocating for your merits. He's advocating for his own and your behalf. And mm. that's really interesting. Mm. And so the advocacy question isn't like he's going to be an attorney, a defense attorney standing beside you in the courts of God, and then God the Father is going to pass judgment. But Jesus saying, well, yeah, he, 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 know, he, he said this bad word, but, but then, you know, it's not going to be like that, at least according to the Book of Mormon prophets. And uh, it, it, it's quite clear. So if I could take you to some of the most definitive things, and if we look at Mormon as kind of the encapsulating prophet, it might, it might be helpful. So Mormon has this to say. And these things that the Spirit manifests unto me, wherefore I write unto you all, for this cause I write unto you, that you may know that you must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's there Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam, and you must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. That's the binary nature of it. It's good or evil. And I'm not sure how, how that all works out. Yeah. Because I don't think it's completely, I don't believe it's binary, but that's how they talk about it. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the day soon cometh that your mortal must put on immortality, and these bodies which are now moldering in corruption must soon become incorruptible bodies. And then you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ, to be judged according to your works. And if it so be that they are righteous, then you are blessed with, the, with your fathers who have gone before you. Uh, so this is, this is going from Moroni 3.20, Moroni 3.22, and then Moroni 6.21 and 22. And he bringeth the path of resurrection of the dead, whereby man must be raised to stand before his judgment seat. And he hath brought to pass the redemption of the world, whereby he that is found guiltless before him at the judgment day hath it given unto him to dwell in the presence of God in his kingdom. Hmm. So, you know, it, the scriptural record in the Book of Mormon is quite clear on it, that it is Jesus who is the judge. It is everyone standing before him. It's everybody's knee will bow, every tongue confess. And that we'll all confess that his judgments were just 
with us and with everybody else. It's quite a remarkable thing. Hmm. And it, because the Book of Mormon prophets, to, to a prophet with one exception, are so focused on this, you know, I think we ought to take it very seriously and start, you know, preparing for that day and thinking about it and being concerned about it. This is a bit of a tangential question, but when I appear at that bar and I have a knowledge of all of the good and evil things that I've done, does that include things I've repented for? So I don't think it's going to be as much things as being. So you're not going to think about events as much as you're going to think about more the state of your heart. And so if you have repented, they're gone. And whatever the state of your heart is at the time of your judgment, which is going to be similar to what the state of your heart is at the time of your death, there's not going to be a whole lot of change, although we do have this interjection of the spirit world, which might do something to it, which might change hearts. And then, you know, things can happen there, but it doesn't, it doesn't talk about that. This talks about the resurrection, which is bringing body and spirit together and then getting there. And you're going to have whatever your propensities were, whatever your soul was like, whatever your heart was like at the time there, it's going to be the same thing when you stand before Christ. It's going to be more of a heart to heart. If I could say heart, it's probably a lot more than that. It's heart, mind, it's everything else. But it's going to be a heart to heart thing where there won't be a review of things that you've done in the past. It's going to be being to being like your being is like this. And you're going to recognize that his being is something like that. And therefore, he will be just in his judgment of whatever it is that you're going to be, however it is that you're going to be judged. So I think one question that some people have is the about the balance of my works versus Christ's works in this uh, equation of what your heart turns out to be. So, so when it comes to that point where my heart is judged, my being is judged, um, what's on me and, and what's on Christ? That's so that is a, a really, really good question. In fact, it's at the core of what Book of Mormon prophets talk about. And it's all on Christ in terms of his grace is going to be the thing that, that tilts the balance. But to get a full measure of his grace, you have to repent. So associated with all these things, what the Book of Mormon prophets are saying is you have got to repent. And if you repent, which is to, to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit as a sacrifice before him, if you repent of your sins, then um, you are at a point which his grace will take care of the whole thing. And so is it all him or all you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's all you to repent and then, but it's all him that provide the possibility for you even being able to repent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. I was wondering about something you said earlier, just to make sure that I understand correctly. Were you saying that when we're all brought forth to Christ, are you saying we're all going to be judged like all of us, like not not necessarily as a collective group, but like we're all going to be judged individually, but as like we're all together? Or is it going to be like a one one by one type? Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was curious about that. And I'm pretty sure it's one on one. I'm okay. pretty sure it's just you and him in, in some kind of a situation. There are some interesting things about the um, the disciples of Jesus Christ in the time of Third Nephi getting responsibility to judge tribes. Say, okay, these will be the judges over this thing here. I'm not sure what to make of that other than to suggest that tribes are going to have to be judged. Like the tribe of Ephraim was a really, really bad tribe for a long time. You look in the book of Hosea and they'd gone off the deep end for a long, long time. And then they have this responsibility in the latter days to get stuff done and temple work and everything else. Like Ephraim has this huge responsibility. So I think the whole tribe will be judged in some way by maybe an apostle that's been assigned to do that. 
uh, but I'm not sure how that works into the whole individual judgment. I'm, I am certain that your individual judgment will be with Jesus Christ on a one-on-one basis. Let me just say, I'm, I don't believe anyone else will be there. Okay. But I could be wrong about that. Yeah. So I think maybe maybe just wrapping up here, there are a lot of people that are petrified of the judgment. It's a scary thing to a lot of people. Um, what advice would you give them? What, what, what message would you leave with them that are afraid? I give Should you, we be afraid? Yeah. Well, I give you the same advice that any Book of Mormon prophet that talks about this would say, and it is repent of your sins and there's no need to fear the end. I mean, it's just like that is the essence of it. And if you don't, it's going to be a horrifying event and it's going to be very scary. And, and they ought to be, they ought to be concerned and afraid for what's going to happen. But if you repent of your sins and, and you're, you're cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, then it's going to be wonderful. I mean, Bruce R. McConkie, the way he talked about it in his final testimony was just brilliant. And I think he's, he's pretty accurate about what that's going to be like. And for him, it'll be a time of unbelievable joy and happiness and this great, great thing where he finally meets the Savior who he's loved his whole life. And uh, I think... That can be achieved through the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Follow-up question. I, I'm betting that there's somebody out there watching that is thinking, well, how do I know if I've repented of everything? Mm-hmm. What if there's something that I did in third grade? You know, I think back to the to Chunk in, in The Goonies. <laughs> it's just like, and then I went to yeah. the movie theater. That's <laughs> the best. Then I got this bag of puke. And- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Kind of a great movie, wasn't it? It's a fantastic oh, yeah. movie. I it's love that one. movie. Isn't it great? Mm-hmm. What? Okay. What do you say to that person? That's like, okay, how do I know that I've yeah. repented? What if there's something in the past that I've forgotten about? What do I like? Because a lot of people, we we kind of take a checklist approach to repentance. Yes, we do. What do you, What do you do? What do you What do you say to that? I say that it's. I think it'll be a lot less about events and a lot more about the state of your heart. And so if you have a repentant spirit and let's say you've been, you've been unkind for a chunk of your life and let's say it was high school. I was unkind in high school for a long time. And so, you know, I, I can't, I can't re- even remember all the times that I was unkind in high school, flipping things that I said, you know, whatever. But I think um, my repentance covered every one of my unkind, unkindness, unkind acts. And because my, my heart, well, my heart is still unkind on occasion and I need to repent of my heart being unkind and my, and my will being unkind or whatever it is that causes me to be unkind. I need to have that rooted out of me. That's a whole other topic, which is a beautiful topic, but have that, have that evil spirit rooted out of my breast. Like it talks about in Alma twenty two fifteen, when King Lamoni's father says that I may have this evil spirit rooted out of my breast. That's what occurs during repentance. You have the evil spirit rooted out of your breast, and then he doesn't have to go over every single thing he's done. He committed murders. He he did lots of evil things. King Lamoni's father, right? And so, when but when he says this thing, and then God takes this evil spirit out of his breast, it's a clean slate. It's perfect. And so, at his resurrection, it's not going to be replaying the events of when he assigned someone to murder that person. It's going to be this event where where the Holy Ghost sanctioned this activity of Jesus Christ, the atonement of Christ coming in and rooting that out of him. And now he has a pure heart. That's it. And so you really don't need to be concerned about that event or that event. You need to be concerned about who you are and who you are toward others, especially. 
And that's either going to be really comforting or even more terrifying mm -hmm. to some people. Maybe. Yes. And the Book of Mormon prophets would say, yeah, I want it to be terrifying. Because if I can lead you to a point where you'll repent of your sins and I can get you to lay everything on the altar and for Jesus Christ to come in and perform the miracle of forgiveness, then if I achieve that, then I'm glad you're terrified because because this will get everything cleaned up. And that's a really good question, a really good event. And I have had people ask me, the, ask me that question, what if I've forgotten something and it's not really relevant? Hmm. Okay, I know we're trying to wrap up and this kind of goes along with what you were already talking about. I have always wondered about the people who, like as Latter-day Saints, we know that we should be repenting and we know we should be living our best life and, you know, doing the best that we can to be like Christ. But there are people who aren't religious or who maybe don't really necessarily know that they're supposed to be repenting or whatever. And so would you say it would be that same kind of thing? Um, like when they get up there and they realize, oh, I didn't know any of this. I didn't yeah. know I was supposed to be do. I was just living life. I was never actually taught that I was supposed to be repenting or supposed to be a certain way. Or I, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, would you say it it's totally the same does. kind of idea? Yeah. Lehi dealt with that in, 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 um, second Nephi chapter two, when he's giving Jacob his patriarchal blessing or this blessing before he dies. And he said, if you don't have the law given unto you, you're not under condemnation. The atonement of Christ rescues everyone who's not under the law. And so if you haven't been given that law, either through revelation or through the light of Christ or through some kind of teaching, you're not responsible for what's happened. And the, the atonement of Christ takes care of that. And then he says, woe unto those who have the law given unto them like unto us. Because mm -hmm. dang, you know, that's <laughs> that's kind of like, like what he's saying. And so every single one of us, no matter what state we're in, um, should be concerned about that. And and so I feel like, okay, I've been given a lot more light than some other people as far as, and so therefore my responsibility has gone way up. And I have a higher, I have a higher responsibility toward my repentance, toward kindness, toward loving acts, toward, you know, everything good so that when I get to the final judgment, it'll be a pleasant event instead of a difficult one. Mm -hmm. does, does that help? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. Final thoughts. Anything else you need to get off your chest? I don't know. I just, I, I, if I could, I would, I would, I would plug the Book of Mormon as the most miraculous thing that we have, as far as anything in text and scripture. It is so remarkable and so consistent and so nuanced, and and there's so much precision in the words of the Book of Mormon. And the final judgment is dealt with so well there, and there are many, many other topics that are dealt with really well in the Book of Mormon, better than anywhere else. And so that that would be, I guess, a final thing that I would I would plug that as as core to anyone's study of just about any topic you can think of. Beautiful. David, thank you for being here. Thanks for what you've taught us about the final judgment. If people have questions for you, can they leave them in the comments? Yes, very happy to engage with anyone who wants to talk about it. And if I've made some mistakes in this thing here, I'd love to hear about those too. I love any kind of correction to to what I taught. But be nice. He's he's a little <laughs> sensitive sometimes. <but laughs> that's a lie. He's, he's a rock. I have fairly thick skin, but so you can say what you need to say. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.